Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Okay, well, welcome. It's time for another Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier, and we're in the beautiful uh, Latvian radio building in the center of Riga. I always begin by saying I won't describe the weather, so I won't tell you that it's a glorious, uh, sunny summer's day. I'm joined in the pod by another guest who uh, I'm a little bit worried about today's podcast because he's sort of multi-award winning, acclaimed, talented, intelligent, innovative, creative. Uh, so it's going to be a bit of a one-sided conversation. I'll try and get him to say as much as I can. His name is Eugene Berman. Welcome to the pod, Eugene. Thank you. I think I, I should respond to that very quickly by saying those are all um, purported facts, but, <laughs> but, but they, they, they may be fake. Well, according to your website. Yes. <laughs> but Yeah. But uh, Eugene has an interesting, um, not only interesting history, he's uh, got some interesting projects coming up. Just get out, get out the way the uh, justifying why you're here question, Eugene. Uh, what is your connection to Latvia? Well, I was born in the neighboring uh, nation of Daugavpils, <laughs> and, um, which is just you know, a train ride and several passport checks away. Uh, and uh, so I spent my first six years sort of between there and Moscow, and then I uh, left behind the Baltic region, my parents thought permanently. Uh, it turned out not too much, and I was uh, tempted back. Uh, and, and I'm currently here on this program called Trauma and Revival, which is uh, a lovely project funded by the EU. Thank you to our friends of the European Union. And uh, really focusing on the um, relationship between Moscow, uh, Russia, and and uh, Europe, as you know, as we come to understand it, which is now just the European Union. Uh, and this is being hosted by the um, by Kim, the Contemporary Arts Center in Riga. Okay, well, we'll maybe we'll get into that in more detail in the second half of uh, of the podcast. But at the moment, I'd just like to fill in a bit more of the background. Yeah. I mean, you, you were born in Daugavpils. Uh, you spent time in Russia. You were educated in uh, England, in America. I mean, where do you consider home? Or are you one of these citizens of the world who doesn't like to say that? I'm probably too close-minded to be a citizen of the world, I would say. <laughs> um, but I, I do feel homeless because right now I'm in between, in between essentially California, where I grew up, and, and Oxford, where I'm sort of living part-time time uh where um both actually my partner and i were both from california and oxford together at the same time which is interesting she, we went to high school together with her uh, but uh, i'm also sort of on the way to hong kong and starting in september so i'm it's getting a bit more even more confusing and i'm trying to having quite a bit of trouble explaining that to people but um for the moment let's say i'm i'm uh, i'm based in, in riga for the next two weeks okay but you also have quite close ties to what well, creative ties with Estonia on yes. over to the north. Well, the funny thing is, so whenever I do anything here, um, the, the Latvian like press or uh, whoever covers this, you know, um, have, has said that I'm an Estonian composer. Yeah. And the Estonians will always say I'm a Latvian composer. So <laughs> I'm like this kind of, this hot potato that they keep throwing, you know, one to the other. Like, we don't want him, you take him. Right. Um, so I, I, I did live for a couple of years in Estonia and I have really strong connections to the um, the art, the music, uh, the arts community there. And it's, it's quite, it's been quite good to me, I have to say. Well, we're um, quite happy to claim you as a Latvian composer. Well, the Estonians, you know, don't want you. Yeah, you? I mean, I can say I'm from the pod, perhaps, <laughs> and and that's that's good. The pod I mean, they already have Arvo Pert as well. They do. They don't but, need to. But, but there's they? Petrus Vasks here, yeah, so he's, he's kind of a big deal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody. Yeah, Lithuania maybe they they could. There could be an opening there. Yeah, they have painters and everything, but maybe basketball players. And I mean, the probably the work of yours which has been well got the most coverage. I, I, I'm. 
loath to say the most notorious, but there is certainly an element of notoriety or maybe controversy, uh, in fact, attaching to several of your works. Uh, the one which kind of really hit the media sphere hard was um, your Twitter opera or financial opera. How, how do you describe it? It was uh, Nostra Culpa. Yes, um, it was a time when I think there was not too much going on in, in the press, and, and they they had they had a um, there was a good opening to kind of. No, it was uh, a nice simple concept. It That's was a why nice was simple concept. Okay, well, that perhaps that. Uh, yeah, but you, you never see like you know, there's plenty of simple concepts in music that never get covered by anybody. Um, but the idea was actually you know we had this financial crisis, especially it hit the Baltics very very hard. Um, everybody was was still. I mean, it was 2013, so we we. We sort of got over it, but perhaps I think we didn't really get over it in in the in the sense that um, this piece comes along and suddenly everyone goes a bit uh, wild over it. I, I'm, I still am quasi at a loss to why, um, but I think it was this this um, very crystallized um, encounter between the former president of Estonia, uh, Thomas Hendrik Ilves, and and um, Paul Krugman, the, the New York Times economist. Uh, and they had and, a Twitter exchange. And they had a, they yeah. had a well, actually, it wasn't an exchange. It was very one-sided. There was the, the you know, uh, Ilves was actually in Latvia, as as, as is purported, um, on the boat and and uh, doing these tweets, which which are some of his first tweets. And then um, Krugman never actually responded. It was just a, the tweets were a response to a Krugman um, article. But Krugman was, you know, if I take Estonia's side for a second, he was kind of baiting the Baltic countries with these blog posts, saying like, uh, you're you're not recovering, you're not doing well, um, you know, don't think like you are. And so it was an interesting kind of. Um, the the dam broke and and uh, you know the, the there was this very curious and interesting response and um, Scott Deal the librettist for that piece decided that this would make good uh, good theater in, in more ways than one. Well, I mean, I suppose in a way he was uh, four or five years ahead of the curve in the taking presidential tweets and uh, we're all obsessing over presidential tweets these days. But uh, I, I guess and and quite outrageous or uh, ones which contain non-presidential or shall we say modern presidential language uh, I think wasn't it what, what made Ilvis's tweets interesting were that they were so sort of raw uh, and you, the, you know, the, the, the title Nostra Culpa came from this curious mix of his of sort of learned bookishness and quite you know defensive uh, anger about the what he saw as a slight on the Baltic states. Absolutely. Well, there, there was this kind of, um, it was interesting because we we assume and we usually know that uh, that Twitter accounts or social media are never run by the people who are, are you know, the picture is, is mm. not connected at all. It's like if you go on Hillary Clinton's Twitter, it says, you know, tweets that I write are marked H. And if you do a, like a find and replace, find and search on that page for H, you get like one H in, 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 <laughs> in a few months. And it usually has to do with, you know, being in a, a a grandma or something like yeah. just one that she posted so there was this interesting um, coming together of, of Ilves actually doing this on his own and then the other thing is we assume politicians are kind of not um, th- there's this effort to really be of the people um, to to kind of use very simple language to um, uh, to use Twitter for these kinds of things and Ilves did the opposite when he was in Estonia he kind of became the philosopher king of the uh, or prince whatever um, of the country and, and you know tried to actually elevated his, his language to the point where he was speaking in Latin half the time nobody understood a single word he said but we we loved that he was saying it in a way yeah i mean i must admit as a journalist we used to run a little sweepstake when we had a press conference about uh, whether he'd mentioned hobbs Locke, or you know both maybe preferably 
Um, but that that was interesting. That I think this it was the same evening. It was maybe during the IMF conference. Was it that he was down here? I think. But so. I think that I remember thinking at the time I saw his his then wife arrive for one of the official receptions, and uh, I, th- I remember thinking, oh, you know, I, it looks like they're going to get pretty good hospitality tonight. As she stepped out of the limo and went into the uh, venue, and it seems like uh, they did get pretty good hospitality because he got pretty fired up. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, and then. Uh, the the end product was was quite quite useful and it was it was actually funny that nobody decided, did anything with this for I mean the fact that Scott was the first person to really look at these tweets and say of course they were covered um, but the fact that they weren't made into any kind of art of any yeah. kind was curious because it's not that common that that you have this kind of this thing come out and it is a cultural phenomenon actually it became one um, and you know uh, unfortunately Trump doesn't. Uh, refer to a precedent in in presidential tweeting but he could and he could say you know I'm what what I'm doing is actually you know it's been done before you know just look over there the you know the one uh, NATO country that's paying its its 2% has been doing it for a long time that would be a smart move by him i mean maybe he should you know you should I, you should I, tweet that to I, Spicer I could, or yeah, something yeah yeah um, i'm not sure, yeah that, that's true. I think Spicer has, has probably blocked his Twitter account. It's for friends only. <laughs> and I mean, what did you, what sort of reaction did you get? Did you ever hear from Ilvis himself or from Krugman uh, in response to this? Uh, they th- couldn't have missed it. Yes. Well, um, uh, hmm. Krugman knew about this, but um, because uh, Scott Deal, he reached out to one of Krugman's uh, people, and, and, and uh, I think there was some exchange, and it was, it was quite entertaining. But uh, ultimately, Krugman didn't want to say anything because probably he thought he was going to get roasted, which actually wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, and with Ilves, from from what I know, there was going to be a kind of a, um, a, a presidential presence at the premiere. Um, but this was this is all predicated on the, on the assumption that you know this would be a, a very positive piece for Estonia. That we you know it's Estonian Music Days. How could this not be a piece glorifying this uh, this incident, and it wasn't a piece glorifying it. It was kind of just you know, I wouldn't say laughing at both of it, but really presenting it and just letting people kind of take a uh, take their own opinions and whatever. Mm. Um, so, and then it turned. Then you know, then Le Monde came and they did kind of I would say uh, a little bit of a hit piece on him and and some other things. And I think at that point it was decided that maybe it's better that we pull back and not really grant this uh, uh, any more attention than it already has, which usually has the opposite effect of making it even more, giving it even more attention because mm. the lack of an absence is sometimes more news than, you know, just coming there and laughing it off. So um, ultimately it didn't stop there and then it was on CNN and everywhere else. I just wanted so. to talk a moment. I mean, you've kind of touched on this already about the subject matter. I mean, this is not La Premiere d'un phone. You know, this is a quite interesting, modern, very engaged uh, so, uh, subject matter. I mean, you've also done a piece about the Russian-Estonian border treaty. Um, and, the, and I noticed on your uh, CV as well, you have a degree in economics. So, I mean, is it presumably this is some sort of conscious effort on your part to engage in subjects, uh, themes which aren't usually covered in the classical music repertoire. Well, it's mainly Scott, I would say, in that sense, because he it's he as the librettist, as the kind of the um, the person who looks for the material to generate it. It's it's his um, interest, but it's also my interest because I think, uh, and I've presented about this kind of in, all over the place, just to say, you know, um, music is really nice, and we we but nobody really is particularly excited about going to concerts of new music, especially like I I don't even want to. <laughs> uh, I go to mine, um, but that's because I have free tickets. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I think there's this kind of we can afford to to um, to use this this medium to to attack these issues 
because in in all kinds of other facets of art, especially in theater, I mean, theater um, does political stuff all the time. Um, visual arts does it, has been doing it forever and never stopped. Uh, you know, perhaps sometimes in a slightly sophistic way, but. Uh, in music, we've kind of, um, and also in pop music and rock music, there's always been this, you know, way that we have to we're against the man. Um, but in in classical music, the man is sort of paying your apartment bills and everything. So you you have to, I mean, especially in the Baltic countries, composers are getting quite a bit of income from the state in in various ways. Uh, so there's people are a bit. Uh, so the man uh, is being quite calm, kind. You know? Yeah, the man is kind. The man is okay, and I think this 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 kind of goes into a lot of um, attitudes about this kind of, this kind of thing in the region. Like the um, why why are we even why are we even complaining? Things are things are okay. We're just getting by. Um, you know the for now we have all the the. Um, the philharmonics that are that are state run and the choirs and all these things. So as long as these things are being kept up, actually they're being kept up by on very very slim budgets. Uh, but so there's not a lot of complaints and composers don't want to deal with it because it's also about like stepping outside of the um, of the box and therefore you know uh, I don't want to know what happens at that point. There's a lot of risk involved. But then what is the relationship between the libretto and the music? Because from what you've said, it sounds almost as if the libretto becomes kind of almost a marketing tool or an excuse to listen to the music or, or does the music actually have to come after you've got the libretto I mean well that's a that's a very cynical thing to say well <laughs> no I'm just trying to disentangle it yeah, because yeah. what we started but, off saying was that you know was that the kind of the subject matter was there and that you you wouldn't normally go and listen to a contemporary music concert mm -hmm. so is it just a way of trying to get people through the door I mean being no. ultra cynical um, I mean. well I'm not going to say completely no because yes but uh, the music is, is very closely related to the text so okay. um I so it's think, not like pre-existing music, which you then oh no no of, no uh, no way knock um, into shape. I, the know? way it goes is Scott always writes the thing, and then we talk about you know. Um, I actually I I want to involve him more and more in the process of actually creating the the thing because I think it's important for um, for Scott to learn something about music. I'm kidding, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's important for for there to be a real collaboration, not just you know the librettist writes the thing and then he sends it over and I write my music and actually maybe the music has no relation to the text. It should have a very strong relation to the text. It should be music that evokes the thing that is it is uh, talking about. Mm. Uh, so that somebody who goes there, um, especially I think the, the Russian border piece, I actually what I did is I took the, the old, the pre-Stalin border, um, which uh, the text is just the treaty that describes the border. I took that old border from a map, I twisted it, uh, flipped it uh, um, horizontally, and I, that actually became the melodic line of the of the score. Okay. And so you're actually hearing, you know, the the peaks and the valleys of of what used to be Estonia, which is no longer. <laughs> um, so in that sense, there, you know, I, uh, it, of course it's marketing because you have to get people in the door, and I think you should. Um, but it's not. Th there is some substance, I would hope, beyond. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 having having baited you like that, I mean, I will vouch for it. In I, I saw. Uh, Nostra when it was performed in um, in Riga a few years ago, and yeah, it did. I thought quite brilliantly in a way evoke that sort of slight awkwardness that you felt reading some of the tweets, and that you weren't quite sure the relationship between the different, you know, the two participants and the various points they were making were not always terribly clear, and and you there were bits you were thinking well, they should retract this, and I thought that actually did come through in the music very well. Sure. So. Well, there was one moment where where Ilves uses the word shit, and he uses the 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 asterisk as if you know, um, yeah, uh, that that makes it okay. Yeah. Um, and so the the singer told me she could do one note, which is kind of like a whistle tone, so she does it from from somewhere very high up in her throat, and then it creates. The 
this, you know, almost like only dogs can hear it. And I thought, well, this is perfect because we're bleeping it out, but it's so obvious what it's it sort is. Sort of strangulated. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so there's always a way to, to not just, you know, I hate just setting text. I think it's such a, um, a silly thing to do, especially if you can't hear it at all, then what's the point? Mm. And this is what happens with most um, contemporary music setting text, that you, the text is somewhere far away. Okay, well, um, we'll take a little break here and we'll be back in a couple more minutes looking to the future and a piece you have coming up, which is going to require collaboration in all senses of the word uh, from the population here in Latvia. So we'll hear a bit more that, uh, about that after this uh, brief break and a jingle composed by our mutual friend Edgar Zriginskis. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Right, well, welcome back to the Minutes from Latvia podcast. My name is Mike Collier. Joining me in the pod, which is warming up quite nicely, <laughs> is uh, Eugene Berman, composer. Um, he's resident here in Latvia for the next couple of weeks, working on a new project, which um, probably has the potential to be just as uh, provocative as his previous work, and I'll let him explain exactly what it is. Sure. Um this is called Russia Today, and um, stem- Russia colon today. Russia colon okay. today, um, and it comes actually from uh, the, the residency that I'm on, which is uh, exploring this, you know, the, this um, relationship between Russia and and the EU and Europe and the the complicated history also stemming from the Soviet Union, uh, and I think the point is really that uh, having spent my childhood and also the past uh, six seven years in the Baltic states. We're we're not talking about this, you know, this elephant in the room. We're actually we are talking about it all the time, but we're not talking about it in any way that's uh, particularly um, uh, at all a discussion. It's always about playing on um, uh, on fears or on on kind of uh, this problem of like of uh, Russians versus Latvians and how do you define ethnic groups and people who speak languages and all these kinds of things. So the discussion is very limited. And I think, uh, and especially now there's a, there's a documentary from the BBC about Latvia being invaded um, by by um, Russian troops and how that would look. Centering on Daugav pills. Exactly. Your, your... And my, home, my hometown. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm, it's, it's, it's interesting to imagine. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that it's, a, it's called a documentary as if this is something that happened or is about or, you know, could could have happened. A dramatized documentary, isn't it? I mean, it, and it's sure. the, the editing, I think, takes it closer to drama than to documentary. Well, it is the BBC of 2017, <laughs> not of, of 1965. But uh, it's it's actually, yeah, um, it, it's this idea that actually in many in many cases, this fear about uh, Russian invasion and little green men popping up everywhere is almost being imposed by by the Western media on on the Baltic countries. They're like, hey, aren't you scared? Aren't you scared? Aren't mm. you really afraid about the, you know what happened in Ukraine happening to you? And people here are like, you know, we um, th- there's it's not this atmosphere of complete terror that um, should be. And likewise, in 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 uh, Moscow, uh, where I went for the first time in 23 years um, a couple months ago, um, there isn't this kind of you know there's no war machine gearing up to take over vast swaths of territory in the European Union. Um, there is, you know, they're, they're more concerned about, like, uh, whether they're going to attend Eurovision or not. Mm. So so there's, there's an interesting um, uh, issue between, actually, what the Western media thinks that we should be talking about here, what the media here isn't talking about at all in many ways, what um, the, the, the differences between the Russian-speaking and Latin-speaking um, parties, politics and all these things. So finally, uh, a piece that actually attempts to um, get people to speak honestly and openly about it and anonymously. Uh, and that's that's what 
I was really inspired to do and what uh, Scott Deal of the Librettus is inspired to take a look at, to actually get um, Latvians to come and say what they think about Russia in, in, in the past and the present and the future and what their relationship is with the country and with the, the idea of the country, which is sometimes very different. And, and how will that, I mean, how will that information be processed, as it were, and turned into art? Well, um, the idea is that on, on the 18th of July, uh, at 6 p.m. at Kim, uh, people are, are invited to come, uh, whether they're Russian or Latvian or, or uh, neither, um, to come and actually share their, uh, their fears, their hopes, their ideas about Russia in any way. So they, they just have the chance to, to stand in the room with a microphone and say whatever they want, basically. Um, they can speak for you know, uh, two seconds, they can just say some curse word and walk out if they want, um, or they can, you know, they can really vent their frustrations or say how much they think that you know everybody should get along, whatever it is. Uh, and this is it what, in public or in a cubicle? Or? It's it's in a closed room, so they they have the privacy to say whatever okay. um, they want, and and then um, we're gonna kind of take all of that information. I mean, the microphone is running the entire time. We're not pausing. We're not stopping. Nobody's in there to um, you know to yell uh, cut or whatever. And and then to take that all that information, which is essentially like crowdsourcing um, an opinion poll, and to make that into a composition that perhaps uh, we'll say, you know, this is actually what people are saying about these things. This is not censored or edited um, for uh, because we have advertisers or because we have uh, the government's, you know, feelings to worry about or, be, or in any way. Um, this is Russia as people think about it today, this moment. But isn't there an element of there's going to be a self-selecting group here and that you're only going to get people showing up who have something probably at one end of the spectrum or the other to say? I mean, people aren't probably going to show up and say, I'm not particularly bothered, are they? Well, that's not very interesting anyway. It <laughs> doesn't make for very interesting art. Yeah, I feel No, very... but if you're talking about it sort of revealing the true sure. picture, you could yeah. just end up with a polarized Yeah, but, but you get the truth somewhere in the middle, and that's where the music can come in, to okay. say that, you know, the, here are, um, here are the, the boundaries, the borders of, uh, in fact, yeah, the borders of, uh, of society's sensations and feelings and fears about uh, this issue. Um, the truth is somewhere in the middle, but it's sort of like you don't start with um, the middle and then say, you know, and then here are the borders. You, you kind of, you define the, the parameters of this work. And then you, and then I think the process of hearing the music, um, there's going to be also a film component and other things that, that um, go along with that. Then you, uh, and the film will be done by a Russian uh, film director uh, once, you know, once things are sort of sorted out. Uh, then that creates the, the, the conclusion, which actually I think people should make themselves. But then they mm. hear everything that, that they hear. I think one, for example, one thing in the, in the United States during the election that we kept talking about was that nobody knows anybody who doesn't share their opinion. Or if you do, then you block them when you stop speaking to them and from both sides. Mm. Um, and the benefit of this is that we're going to, even if people don't speak to each other in, in any particular way and they don't know somebody who ha shares the opposite viewpoint from them, they'll be able to at least hear this in one space. And that space at Kim will actually be a place where both sides can can share their possibly op, uh, opposite feelings. Mm. Well, Kim, incidentally, for those who don't know, being the contemporary um, arts uh, center uh, in Riga, it's interesting that I mean, what you're saying essentially is that the music really is acting as the medium in in all senses of the word as well. I mean, mm. the, in that if you're taking what is essentially yeah. rhetoric or political belief or historical interpretation, I guess just by the act of musicalizing it, to use a dis disgraceful word, um, it becomes transformed into something else and maybe becomes a bit more 
accessible to people because people would immediately switch off if they hear an opinion that they disagree with. Whereas if it's <laughs> set to music, maybe uh, it, it becomes a little bit more seductive. Well, there's also concert etiquette where they can't get up and go. It's very difficult. It's <laughs> so, like you usually have you know, a row of 20 seats and then an aisle. So it's like it's the worst you know, flight you could ever imagine. Um, so yeah, there's, there's this thing I think that, that music can, it forces you to sit there and listen. And if you don't want to listen, then you can at least maybe listen to the pretty notes if there will be any. Uh, so yeah, there's that possibility. There's also the possibility that a lot of the information that is available or perhaps has been gathered about people's feelings is often not released because we don't want to, uh, um, you know, trouble people and say that, you know, people in, for example, what if, you know, in Dogafields they, they wouldn't mind? Or maybe what if uh, in, other, in other parts of uh, Latvia people, you know, have been waiting to start, you know, fighting back the Russian troops or mm-hmm. something like this? Uh, we're, we don't, we don't want to talk about it because it's sort of like, you know, we, let's not even go there. And uh, as a result, I think that's when Western media steps up and says, the Latvians aren't really covering this in a particular way that uh, really covers it, actually, by the definition of the word. So we're going to present all these uh, kind of uh, crazy opportunity, um, possibilities and Yeah, and I mean, I can definitely uh, endorse you on that in that one gets the sense, working as a journalist sometimes, that you get contacted by an editor in the West who uh, fully expects you to just turn out a piece saying, oh, everyone in Dagov Pills is really keen on Putin rolling in. They're just waiting for it. Of course they're Russian. Of course they want it. You know, it's, a, it's an assumption, right? Who wouldn't want it? As soon as you start to explain, well, this absolutely is not the case, and, you know, I've been there and spoken to people, and um, y- you're, you, they almost have this kind of nostalgia for the simple dichotomy of the Cold War and wish it was back again. And sure. this is what they're keen to present uh, in, in the media. Sure. Well, it's this, you know, now that when, whenever Russia is mentioned in U.S. media, it's, it's prefaced by our adversary Russia, <laughs> as if, um, you know, the whole 90s didn't happen when we tried to be best friends and, and see what we can do together. And now, you know, the whole thing was over. Um, and I think that actually having been in Russia and speaking Russian, uh, it, it's amazing that, you know, the Russians don't understand this at all. Like they thought, you know, we thought we were, we were getting closer and, you know, all this kind of mm. stuff. And I, I mean, you know, we can, we can look at to, towards their politics as perhaps the reason why. But there's also this, uh, this uh, slightly nutty response from uh, in the West about uh, everything that's going on being reframed in Cold War terms and then pushing this rhetoric back on the Baltic states as if this is the front line. Yeah, and that does tend to come sort of from the so-called experts. I mean, right. not the ordinary people. If you, you know, you see hundreds of Russian cars coming across the border every day, people doing their shopping, coming on holidays here. I mean, they clearly don't have as much of a problem as some of the people higher up the food chain do. Yes. Uh, and it'll be very interesting to see, I mean, I'm tempted to, to say to say at this point, you do realize you are asking for a lot of trouble by using this as subject matter, yeah? Sure, but why not? Because it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit tired of, of having to tiptoe around this issue and, mm-hmm. you know, ask people like, uh, it, it's sort of like in, in the U.S. too. Now there's like, when you when you enter a university, they give you like a six instead of giving you like the Iliad like they used to. Now there's a 300 page manual on what not to say to you yeah. know to piss anybody off. Um, and and the Baltics has actually always been this way in a way like you can't uh, call him that. Uh, she's she's that, but don't say that. And all these things like you can't refer to this incident with this, these terminology. You must use um, this terminology instead. And and um, you know is was the German Nazi time an occupation or, or something else? Was the Soviet an occupation or something else? And everybody has this um, kind of shadow war about terminology. Uh, this is this is ultimately, you know, uh, the country has to grow up a little bit. Mm. And I think um, music will definitely not be the thing that 
helps that in a big way. Um, but I think it's important for the music, the cultural sphere here, and also in um, the reason that, for example, this piece will be premiered not in Latvia but in in the UK was that for the West to also understand for the West, I mean, like <laughs> uh, for the old West, as uh, perhaps um, the Bush administration may have called it, old Europe, um, to understand that the entire discourse in the Baltics is not about uh, Soviets versus, um, you know, uh, the Iron Curtain. Mm. Um, that actually, there's a very, uh, there's a quite uh, diverse set of opinions about things that people don't think all the same in, in, inside the communities and also outside the communities, between the communities. Uh, yeah, but and that they're sophisticated enough. Exactly. To, this is not, you yeah. know, people don't go in shubas like all around town in the winter. Uh, and, you know, there's not this kind of, uh, it's not it's not the 80s anymore. It's not the 90s even anymore. So the, we've, we've now had almost 25 years. Mm. Uh, in fact, more than 25 years. So that there's, there's a time for a new discourse. And maybe because this is apparently not translating particularly well to the media in any way, since they keep coming with these outmoded uh, ideas, and maybe music can do something because then we can say, look, you know, this is, if you want to know what people think, go to this concert. You can really hear it because we're, we're just going to say it. Well, great. Well, thanks very much, Eugene. I think it's something to really look forward to. On my way uh, into do the podcast today, I was in a bookshop, where, which they've just uh, refurbished expensively and turned it into an experience rather than just a place where you go to find books. And they had pipe music coming in there. And it was a kind of uh, Nora Jonesified version of the Siegfried Idol. And I thought, this really does not work. I definitely want to hear uh, Eugene's new piece. <laughs> a lot more confrontational because that was the absolute you know, antithesis of it. This was something which was des designed to send you to sleep. You know? sure. Well, that's because bookstores are now a place that where, you can, where you go sort of to, um, to hang out, not to actually... I'm a bit old-fashioned. I not, just not like to, to go and buy books. Book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going and buying books in a bookstore has, has been completely out of style since Barnes & Noble you know, and Starbucks <laughs> came together. And Okay, well, thanks again for coming Thank in uh, into the pod. Uh, just to remind everyone, it's the 18th? 18th at 6. At Kim. Yeah. So if you want to go down and sound off and possibly be turned into... And there will be Valmir Mojas. There'll be Valmir yeah. Mojas. Okay, that's a really excellent beer. Um, other beers are available. Yes. Um, and uh, look forward to hearing the piece and the inevitable storm of reaction to it. Let it be. Minutes from Latvia with Mike Collier. Produced by Renar Steymans for Latvian Public Media. Find out more at www.lsm.lv.